again, everyone's different, man. I know plenty of bands that are they're they've always done well and they're they're tremendous size and they're still grateful to be there. And I know bands that are just showing up for work. I know bands that the members don't talk to each other outside of work. It really is work. I was a crew person for people that are friends. I was a crew person for people that treated me like an employee, not a friend. Um, I've been in bands with people that were best friends that I don't, don't speak to any longer. I've been removed from bands um, uh, against my choice uh, in the past, which drove me to want to actually do crew. Actually, the last band that I was in when I was asked to leave the band drove me up the wall so much that I said, I don't want to play music anymore. It removed the desire for me to want to play music because I was so invested and then it was just taken away. And I said, screw that. Another episode of Growing Up Christian. I'm Sam. I'm Casey. And I'm patiently waiting here, Casey, uh, to find out if I have work tomorrow. I We're getting snow through the night. Uh, it's supposed to start at like, I don't know, maybe three in the morning and then go all day tomorrow. The, the projected amount of snow is wildly varied. Uh, it's like one to six inches, you know. <laughs> not a lot you can do with that um but i hate this shit uh because it's it's this time where like so my my wife works in a school district as well that that that's more likely to cancel than most um and maybe it's at seven o'clock tonight we're recording this uh the night before this will come out uh so seven o'clock tonight they just they already let that whole school district canceled. And it's like, just because of what might happen. And it's, it's really, it just shows you, you kind of see by district, how much they believe in themselves to be able to like, take care of snow when it falls. They like, no, we have no chance of handling this at a a reasonable hour before school starts. So we're just going to (laughs) like throw in the towel already. My district is like, let's cancel last minute. So like, now they because her school called it she's now enjoying tonight like it's a saturday night like it's another weekend day and i'm like i have to set my alarm and get up at the regular time to see which you know if i get up and there's a surprise that'll be nice but i'm really hoping there will be so when i wake up tomorrow morning and i check the cancellations and my school's not on it and everybody else's is i'm gonna feel so cheated uh, I hate this feeling. I, I would rather than just send the email out for their uh, staff. Yep. Yeah, right. Right. I would rather them just say right now, look, assholes, we're having school tomorrow. I, I know I'm not saying we're not means we are, but it means we are until they say we're not. And that just feels so unclear. Just, just tell me just, I just, I hate this limbo of not knowing is annoying, but also, you know, this is uh a privileged person's speech here because back in my corporate world days, especially when I had the ability to work from home, 
it was like, oh, there's a lot of bad. It's going to be bad weather. Just work from home tomorrow, I guess. And it's like, ah, fuck, I still have to work. Uh, <laughs> so a lot of people are going to be driving in this awful weather tomorrow or potentially bad weather tomorrow. They're going to be driving an hour long drive to their shitty jobs that they hate. And uh, risking life and limb yeah. to work at the UPS store. Yeah. And they just because they know for a fact that their company will not close under any circumstances, um, which is crazy, dude, because when you work for those companies, when I would work in Boston <clears throat> and I'm like driving down like the biggest highway in Massachusetts, the Mass Pike on my way to Boston, barely taken care of. You can't see the lines in the roads anymore. There's snow everywhere. You're going to work and you're just like. I, that would be more likely on my way home from work. I would probably, but anyway, you're just like, even if it's on your way home, you're like, I went to work. I knew this was coming. I tried to leave early, but I didn't. And now I've taken my life into my hands. Like I'm getting off the off ramp and you're like kind of doing three sixties, trying to avoid the Jersey barriers on your left and right. And it's like, you look around and you go, we all are, we're all, we're all putting our lives on the line for fucking capitalism. It's great. I love how they just have us by the balls so hard. <laughs> yeah, it's true. We had uh, we've had some delays and stuff recently here. My guys all have company vehicles, so like, if it's really nasty out, we're like, all right, everybody just stay home so we don't have to fix anything. Yeah, they all <laughs> everyone just crashes up. their cars. <laughs> You have yeah. 15 vehicles out of commission. It could get real bad. Yeah, we go through spurts where we just destroy Ford Transits for like, there's like a three-month period where we just destroy every Ford Transit in the fleet. <laughs> and everybody's in a rental car or something like that until it gets fixed. I don't know why it's that way, but it is that way. Dude, one of my guys, he was driving and it was like dusk or like early morning and a turkey flew out in front of his van. And <laughs> you would not believe the damage that a freaking turkey can do to a, a, a transit. I mean, yeah. it just like, <laughs> it was like, it was like running headlong into a cannonball. It was like that scene <laughs> in, uh, you remember that scene in the Patriot that like almost made you puke the first time you saw it when you were 13, where it takes the guy's leg off. Yeah. That, say, that scene was wild. I remember seeing it. I, I was wildly impressed by it because you don't think about you don't think about what like the a cannonball rolling afterward. You like you think of it like being shot into the side of a pirate ship or something. And then when you when you realize that nothing's gonna roll for like eight hundred feet and just rip off the shins of everybody in its way. <laughs> <laughs> it's like one of those old fashioned lawnmowers like Donald Duck pushed around, but it's yeah. just chewing up ankles. <laughs> it's, yeah, that scene is crazy. Yeah, but it's that, but it's the old poultry puncher just smashes right through the headlight. I uh, <laughs> I don't know if I've mentioned it, uh, but one of the when I was a teenager driving home late at night, I had an owl fly into my car. Um, oh, that uh, sucks. Yeah, I, it, I know. It feels it. It felt bad. Uh, something he was like right in his prime, enjoying his life hunting mice, and you I know. killed him. He probably was just like my headlight lit up a mouse for me. He's like, "Oh, thanks, brother." And then I just like beat. I just crashed the straight. You no, know, I he actually crashed into me. It was um, 
he like got caught up in my wheel well. I had to like kind of like pull it out. It was pretty gross. Uh, but the wings, I was a dude. I'd never seen an owl up close. I don't know what kind of owl it was, but fucking big old wingspan. Um, Maybe and then Jesus I, will tell you someday when you stand before uh, <laughs> judgment. I hope so. Staring down the barrel of the look, the book of the Lamb. That'll be my He's one question for him. October twelfth of nineteen ninety eight, you killed Hootie the Great Horned Owl. You're like, I don't even remember it. He's like, freaking reprobate, go to hell. Uh, I, I was pretty close to home when it happened, uh, and then the next morning I woke up and my, my tire was completely flat. Like the talons or the beak just shredded my tire. <laughs> An owl. <punch>. Yeah. <laughs> was he still in there? Like, did you have to pull him out with like a car hammer or something? <laughs> <laughs> just the beak was still in there. Just the beak. <laughs> no, it was, it was crazy. I, I, I mean, like I said, huge owl. I wouldn't have, I mean, I was afraid to move it. Uh, after I hit it, because we've all seen Tommy Boy, right? Where the they uh, the deer or the yeah the, <laughs> the, the deer wakes, wakes up, in, up the car. in the back of the car and shit, and you're like, so I'm like maybe I was afraid. I was like maybe it's just stunned, and I'm gonna like go drag this owl out, and I'll, it'll just kind of become alert real quick, and then just fuck me up because it was as big as I was. It felt like yeah, you would not want one of those mad at you. That's for sure. <laughs> lots of pointy parts yeah um okay so recently uh last week april and i watched a documentary series called the way down have you heard of that yeah yeah that's the gwen shamblin one yes gwen shamblin yeah. so that one i didn't came out realize a that ago. she had her own church it was yeah she a diet profit test whatever that was her thing right like the yeah i didn't know she had her own she, church i thought she was just like a televangelist not televangelist in the, the sunday morning service type but like just like a i thought she was like some christian nutrition and by nutrition i mean like got nutrition all wrong but that was her like like the boomer she, billy mays with the scene girl yeah. swoop she yeah she was to um she was to nutrition is, is what uh Catherine Crick is to modern day prophets. <laughs> oh, Sidetrack, but have you seen you've seen that video of her talking to the he's like an Asian guy talking about his autistic son? <laughs> no. Dude, the stuff that she claims to heal is like she's she is truly out of control at this point. Oh man. You gotta, you gotta watch it. If you go search for like Catherine Crick deliverance or something like that, you will be inundated. The first one that comes up, but there's one where she's talking to like an Asian dude with a a buzz cut. And he's like, I think he's Australian if I remember right. And he literally, he says like, well, I'm here to talk about a generational curse. Uh, My son, he's got autism. He's, he's got, he kind of like, shakes his hand next to his head and he goes, he's got uh, autism. He's got just no brains at all. Oh my God. And then she pray, she like prays for him and lays hands on him. And he starts like screaming 
and then he does a headstand and rolls forward and then flops on the floor, does like the convulsive, like cartoon just touched in a, an electrical wire or something. Dude, that's what all of them do when they get prayed over. They just convul convulse convul. I don't know what the right the words convulse. Uh, convulse. Okay, yeah, uh, but yeah, they just like violently shake. It kind of looks like a seizure, like but like not a real seizure. Like a person's acting out what they think a seizure is. Yeah, it is funny how like you there. There's clearly like cultural cues have been injected into like subconsciously injected into their mind about what being swayed in the spirit was. Cause they all yeah. kind of do the same thing. And or I want to like, do when they leave how your body, do you, how do you like just implant the idea that like being swayed in the spirit means you lose control of your bowels. Do they actually shit and piss themselves sometimes when they get delivered? No, but that's oh. what I'm saying is like, how do we uh, touch them in that way? Like we leave that little imprint on their uh, perception of, you know, uh, spirit filled convulsions to where all of them just start wetting their pants when they like that now becomes a part of the dance that I'm looking forward to that phase of deliverance. I'll believe it more. I'll at least believe that maybe if anything's going to make me believe that maybe someone isn't full of shit, it's that like, I get that you could commit to this because it costs you little, just, you know, it costs you maybe some social clout if uh, people don't buy into what you're doing, but the respect the, and adoration of your autistic son at the end of the day, yeah, at the end of the day, <laughs> if, if you're willing to shit and piss yourself for the, for the, the, for the role, for the bit, for the whatever. I don't know. Maybe I'm like, well, that takes, that's, it feels less likely that someone will be willing to do that. So maybe it's more likely that they're, that they're getting delivered. Maybe, uh, maybe that'll bring me back into the fold. Maybe when people start shitting and pissing themselves, I'll believe again is what I'm trying to say. I'm willing to make that commitment. Um, not even just entertain it. I'm willing to commit right now to like, if I start noticing the trend, I'm buying in for right. sure. Joke's on you because I'm going to get exercise tomorrow and I'm going to shit and piss myself. And you will have to now believe again. I don't believe that God could touch your life at all. So that's, that's not going to work. <laughs> so I'm the one exception. Uh, <laughs> dude, for Gwen Shamblin, though, jumping back to Gwen Shamblin, um, I, when was this? I made this post a while ago on her Instagram. Uh, 20 September, 2022. Uh, it was a side-by-side -side shot. One of Gwen Shamblin, one of like a scene girl with the super teased out hair. And, uh, the caption was who roar it better with, uh, the capital R A W R. <laughs> I like that. One. I'm going to I'm going to reshare that one when this good. episode comes out. Cause that felt, I was proud of that one. And, uh, Surprising. It's I mean, she's got that super heavy side swoop where she pulls like all the hair from like the one side of her head, like just above her ear, all the way across her forehead. The, the older she got, the more exaggerated the hair got, where it was clearly like an emperor who has no clothes sort of situation where no one was willing to just be like, hey, yeah. maybe like draw a line at six inches. No one. Like if it's if it gets taller than six inches. 
Like you look like an absolute lunatic. Yeah. When your hair is like teased out enough and tall enough to where you can see whatever is behind her hair through her hair, that's just too much. You've overdone it. And you listen to like they're they're showing clips of her in the documentary about when she was younger, you know, and like you listen to her when she was younger and she still looked normal. She was very good. And she made a great like she made like such a perfect appeal for American audiences huh. where it was like, you don't need to watch what you eat. You need deliverance from like the, the demon gluttony sort of thing, you know, ah, the She's spirit like, of glut. I love the spirit of everything. You need to stop bowing, bowing down to the refrigerator and start bowing down to Christ. Take the crown off of that cheeseburger and put it back on Jesus's head nice it's she's she was pretty good like it's kind of her it's i respect a good con and she had a great con but then like throughout the documentary anytime okay so there's a funny if you listen to like martyr maids podcast series about uh jonestown and uh jim jones mm-hmm. he makes a great point that like you can't unsee once you hear it you can't unhear um, but he talks about like when you listen to a when you listen to or watch like a Jonestown documentary and like all of these former members are talking about like their experiences in the cult and stuff, they're very invested in in making the case that it was like Jim Jones knew how to like he it was mind control. Yeah, like, like it wasn't in control of myself. I was under some sort of magical spell. This was Jim Jones acting alone the whole time. He had just like a, you know, a supernatural hold over these people. And really what it is, is like, you know, he was a charismatic figure that you turned over your agency to. Like you willingly gave him that power over you. And then you propagated that same sort of power structure against other people. Like you were not just a participant. You weren't just a victim. You were also a participant that aided in the atmosphere that he had there. And like, it's interesting when you listen to these cult documentaries and stuff because of how people portray their time in the cult. And also like on modern ones, they talk to a lot of people who like knew someone who was in it, had a family member that was in it or something. So there's an interesting thing in this uh, in this way down documentary series where there's like this guy who's talking about him and his wife, how they like lost their daughter to the cult. Their daughter like started dating somebody who was a member, a, a young guy that was a member of the church, probably grew up in it. You know, um, he was they were young when they started dating and uh so they started they started seeing each other when they were like 15 or 16 or something and ended up getting married and she's like a full-fledged part of the the church now and as you're listening to him talk about this scenario and the situation where his daughter got involved with it yeah like i don't know if it's just me and just that i'm like a little bit overly sensitive to this type of stuff but you're listening like you're listening to him talk about like his daughter being like pulled into this cult and stuff and she's still alive like she's still very much like alive and a part of the church and everything and they this guy is like, talking about how 
Yeah, like he's talking about how he lost her to the group and how, um, I don't know, it's it's very weird to listen to somebody talk about their kid in that way who's, you know, like 22 years old and married, but still like she lives like, you know, 15 minutes from you. And like you very much could have some sort of relationship with her. And it almost felt like, he was kind of like spiking the football on their relationship by doing this documentary. Like you have to imagine that yeah, she's yeah. going to find out that he was a part of this thing and maybe see how he talked about her and stuff. And like, yeah, at one that... point he even acknowledges like, you know, I, I fully aware of the fact that like this could hinder my relationship with my daughter being a part of this. But, you know, if one person like doesn't join the church because of that, I don't know. I just felt weird about it. Like, it just felt like it doesn't seem wise or prudent for you to like sit down and do interviews with these people about your daughter who by in all likelihood is going to see these and maybe doesn't want to have contact with you more now because you did this. Yeah. Did, um, when the, I don't know when the documentary was made or when that footage was, did that, I know Gwen Chamberlain died uh, several years ago. I don't remember exactly when, but spoiler alert. If you, if you haven't seen the documentary, like just, this is a spoiler. I'm giving you a fair warning here, but she gets married on the day that the plane crash happened. Oh, whoa. That's wild. It's the craziest twist. <laughs> it's did her they church had this wedding planned out through the church? It's this big elaborate thing, and their parents like really deliberated over whether or not they were going to attend this wedding and stuff, you know, which is also kind of insane. Like the way that that all per- transcribed. It's like yeah. your daughter's an adult now. Like, do you want a relationship with her or not? But the plane crash happened the morning that they were getting married and they went through with the ceremony, like with the church group and stuff like that, not at the church, but with all these people from the church, in spite of the fact that the plane had just crashed into the lake and they were all dead. That's crazy. Did, so did that, that, I guess after she died, the church continued on, is it still a thing? Do they get into that? I don't know if the cult, usually cults don't survive cult leaders, but. She Maybe had that been one did. grooming her daughter to be the next leader. And I, I got to watch the last episode still. I think it's a lot of like stories about people who were a part of the church and whatnot. But um, I think that was that was kind of the question that was like hanging in the air when uh, on the, the second to last episode that we watched where it was like, is the daughter going to take control and is she up to the task? Okay. Yeah, I gotta I gotta watch it. That one's been on my list for a minute. And same with uh the other one you share in the discourse, like the love Love has won. Love has won. Uh which maybe we we should I we should keep I should watch that if you already did. I should watch that and we should we should talk about that one a bit. Because that one's super fascinating too. Uh just a another cult that's leader. That's a woman. Uh it's nice to see some women getting some airtime on cult leading. I love that. It's love that for them it's good to know that women can also victimize people yeah it's it's nice <laughs> uh victimize them and then that some of them like uh with this this uh love has one woman you know usually it's like the men who are like they decide who they want to have sex with and make that happen she's like 
I'm going to have sex with you because you're uh, the male incarnation of God and I'm the female incarnation of God. And that's why this works. And then when she like just is tired of the D she's like, uh, actually just kidding. You're, you're not God, my bad. And then just like kicks into the curve. It's sick. I, I, I've, I know her story. <laughs> I've, I've read her Wikipedia before. I love it. Uh, but I got to watch the documentary because she's, a, she's a fucking gangster about how she runs her cult. And I, it's like a hippie kind of cult. It's so dope. Uh, so I got to watch that and we got to, yeah, they're not, the I really, I, I might rather mean. hang out with like a January 6th reenactment group than a bunch of hippies. <laughs> I don't know. Jerry's out on that one, but they're both, <laughs> they're both insolvable reenactment. I don't, yeah, I mean, maybe, I don't know. They like acting and they found their lane. Maybe they're just good with that hoorah mentality. Oh, sorry. That's Marines. Well, maybe some Marines were there. I don't know. Depends. Put on your buffalo helmet and take up your tiki torch. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Uh we should introduce our guest. I don't know if you had a last minute thoughts or some closing comments on this documentary, but uh try not to join a cult. But above all else, don't be a hippie because they suck so bad. They just suck. And don't poison yourself to death with colloidal silver. Only take a little bit. A little bit. Noted. Um, and don't, don't, don't get sucked into a cult, but if you have the impulse to start one and you're a charismatic guy and you can get your bag, this is a capitalist society and, uh, marketplace of ideas. I don't know what to tell you. If it works, it works. So yeah. Join like a safe, like corporate retail sort of cult like Amway. Yeah. <laughs> Sandler training. Just normal MLM yeah. shit. Yeah. Team Industries. Mona V. And the list goes on. Cutco <laughs> Knives. Hey, no. Cur- Kirby off. Vacuums. The Cult of Kirby Vacuums. <laughs> <laughs> you could probably do an episode on that. I bet there's some history. Um, All of our most successful friends worked there. Yeah. All right. Our guest this week is John James Ryan. Really loved talking to John. He's from a band called Keep Flying. Keep Flying. I've talked about them on the podcast before. They made my top five on Spotify this year. Um, I had the privilege of seeing them in Manchester, New Hampshire. Fantastic energy. He plays saxophone uh, for Keep Flying. Incredible energy. Incredible band. One of my all-time faves. Um, Real just fun. Fun music. Makes you feel good. Gets you fucking bopping around in your car a bit. It's some great shit. Definitely check out Keep Flying. Um, Keep an eye out for... They don't have... I don't think they have anything posted yet for tours. They just got off of a really long tour. Um, So they're hopefully going to be posting some shit soon about what they got coming up for 2024. But John was fucking awesome. Super nice guy. Loved being able to hang out and talk with him for a bit about his life different. Uh, you know, we talked to a lot of people who had the evangelical evangelical experience. Um, occasionally we dabble with the Catholics and that's, uh, that was his background, but he's got. Catholicism's of, coming back, dude. Yeah, it really is. We got Shia LaBeouf just converted. We got Shay Dozer, comedian Shay Dozer, uh, just went, went hard into a, a an Instagram post about converting to Catholicism. It's, I've seen Real a lot of evangelicals. Right sort of thing. Yeah. 
I've seen a lot of evangelicals go that way. Um, it's or former evangelicals. It's really interesting. Uh, but yeah, it was great talking to, to John about his experiences and uh, a lot of overlap, um, a lot of differences, but uh, overall it was just cool to hear his story. Um, what a great guy. What a great conversation. And uh, like I said, check out Keep Flying and I hope you uh, hope you enjoy listening as much as uh, I enjoyed being able to talk to John. If you like the show, leave us a review trying to get a uh, pube trimmer sponsorship or something. Send this to your dad. Yeah. And then, your dad uh, wants to trim his pubes. And he can't <laughs> because you, he, he hasn't heard the advertisement on this podcast that you sent him. So come on, you're stop. Your mom is putting up with something awful and you gotta, you gotta talk to your dad to get that shit under control. Think about how many frivolous lawsuits Morgan and Morgan isn't getting because they haven't sponsored this show yet. <laughs> Morgan and Morgan and Morgan and Morgan and Morgan. Uh, but yeah, seriously, send us a, or leave us a review wherever you listen to the show, preferably a good one, and uh, share this with a friend that uh, you think might like it. And I think I mentioned it last episode, but hey, if you got a cool story or you know somebody with a cool story, that you think would be a good candidate for our show. Uh, we've had a lot of our uh, best interviews have come from, uh, you know, referrals from listeners. So send us a message. Uh, best place to get at us is on the discord. You can find that in the notes on our, uh, or in the bio on our Instagram. That being said, everybody enjoy our conversation with John Ryan. Hey everybody, we are back with our guest, John Ryan. John, what's going on, man? How are you guys? Doing good, man. I'm super good. excited to have you on, dude. I'm I'm pumped to be here. I, I'm really glad it worked out. I feel like I'm a, a somewhat recent fan, okay. uh, maybe over the past year, uh, but a uh, big fan. You guys made my Spotify, uh, Spotify wrapped top five artists, so I've gotta say been uh pretty much a non-stop listener since i found you guys didn't know um didn't know sky was doing stuff and keeping it real and since i even started listening to you guys i got like you know spotify goes hey you might like this and that and i'm just like holy shit sure. this is like a thriving uh it's a thriving genre and i was totally in the dark yeah there are a lot of bands um out there doing the thing some of which we cross paths with some of us not um We've gotten to support some of the bigger ones, which has been great. And uh, I think the cool thing about Keep Flying is that we don't really fall under that umbrella 100%. No. In fact, I'd say we probably only fall under it about 10%. Um, but we are very welcomed by the people who welcome us, and that feels really good. Especially yeah. since not all the members, but a lot of the members of the band have a back history with previous bands that were ska bands. Okay. Through you know, so it's nice to to be in that world that is smaller and it's clearly significantly less bands than other genres. But, um, uh, you know, yeah, I mean, the shows are fun. That That's why that's why we are happy to be a part of it. When we are welcomed in, we are happy to be a part of it. Yeah, dude, when I, I mean, your guys shows are a fucking blast. When I saw you guys in, in New Hampshire, I was. You guys bring 110%. Uh, I was, I, God, 
I don't know. It was also a personal feel too, man. I feel like uh, a lot of shows I go to, I just kind of stand in the back and um, I'm getting, I feel like an old person at shows now. I'm not sure. old, but you know, 35, you know, 35 at shows feels old now. So yes. it's like, uh, you just kind of stand in the back by the bar and do your thing and um, drink unattended drinks. Yeah. <laughs> finish that last sip from the ones that people left there when they walked up front. But Lately, I've been trying to move my way up a little bit closer, and I kind of forgotten that feeling of like camaraderie with people that you're just standing with too. Even it, it. I was at another show recently where I just ended up near the the pit opening, and I was just like, I haven't done that in a decade, uh, and I was just like, oh, it's crazy to th- like you're just next to strangers, like, and you just look each other in the eyes and sing the same lyrics at the top of your lungs, and you're like, I don't know you, I feel out of like anywhere else it'd just be like it's all kind of seems weird but when you're in that moment it's like a real point of connectivity and you guys really uh i just love the energy that you guys brought uh you kind of opened that up for me too it was like the first time in a while i've been just stood up front and really felt like i was fully engaged in what was going on well that is our goal always our thing is always uh the the show the live show and trying to acclimate those who do not know the band to those who do, as well as our, us. And um, I like to think we do a pretty good job of it, as most people who've never seen the band will either say something at the show before they leave or on the internet later saying, never heard your band, I'm in. That was fun. I'm in a good mood now. You made me feel excited. You made me want to do things. And, and that's really, speaking for me personally, it's a great goal. and a, something that I feel very fulfilled by. Yeah. Um, you know, so you guys have been, uh, you guys have been on the road for a minute and now you're finally, uh, you're finally home. You were dude did the U S and then did you even take a break before you went to the UK? Nope. Just straight into it. No, we, yeah, we wrapped those dates up. We flew immediately to the UK. We went to the UK for the first time as this band, which was amazing. Uh, super fun, brought the, the uh, morale of the team up 200%. Um, and then our flight home got canceled actually. <laughs> and uh, we had to fly back day of a show and we were able to make it work where we, you know, we moved like insane people, but we did not have to cancel the first show back in the States. Um, and that show was incredible. We came home to Utica, New York, upstate New York, and it was an incredible first one back in the States because it was just, they have a very special scene up there and and it was overwhelmingly exciting from the crowd giving the energy back after being in the UK where the shows were good, but they don't, not everyone knows us yet. So we're not getting as much energy back. It's nice to come back and suddenly get hit in the face with everyone just having a good time, singing all the words, dancing, moving, jumping on each other, jumping on me. Um, which, which is uh, very needed. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, we just finished on yesterday. Uh, we oh, did, wow. Uh, we wrapped up Sunday in Pittsburgh was the last show. And then last night we did a live stream um, for everyone at home, which was really goofy and silly and fun. And I'm actually stuck in New Jersey still because the van got put in the shop and it's, it had a couple of repairs it need was it needed and I, it didn't get finished yet. So I'm sitting here in Peter's basement doing this with you guys because I have not been able to go back home yet because I do not want to have to 
leave and come back and then go back again. At least the van held out until the very end. It held out. And it, it would still run now. It's fine. It just has some things that need a little upkeep. And I just didn't want to have to come back to New Jersey because our mechanic lives here. Just didn't want to deal with that during Christmas time. I want to get home and be done. You know what I mean? Yeah. Where's home for you? Long Island, New York. Okay. I thought so. You guys are all New York, right? Uh, half the band's originally from New York. Um, Poughkeepsie, Buffalo, and Long Island. And then two guys from New Jersey and our bass players from Philly. But now, so I live back and forth between Long Island and Nashville. Um, my guitarist from Poughkeepsie lives in Asheville, North Carolina. Ricky oh, yeah. from Buffalo lives in Denver. Our singer moved from New Jersey to Columbia, South Carolina. And then Pete, as I said, <laughs> is still here in North Jersey. And I'm in his, in his uh, family's basement. Damn. I didn't realize you guys were uh, all. That's tough being so spread out and trying to get it some music together. Definitely a challenge. Um, definitely something different. But a lot of the bands that I used to work for and or am friends with older bands, it's the same way. It's normal. Bands, people, personal lives take over and it is what it is. And you just figure out a way to make it work. And we, we figured out a way to make it work. I guess it's, a lot of uh, Zoom Zoom jams. Um, we do a lot of sending Dropbox links back and forth with edits for music. And then sincerely, we, everything that we need to get done, we usually base around the tours. So like either on the off days or before or after is when we're going to go to the studio or shoot a music video or whatever new promos, whatever we need to be, to get done. We try to like tailor it to the front or the end of the tour, uh, because, you know, like for instance, the band will not be back together until February 1st. So anything that's required uh, for the rest of this month and January had to get done before we went home because we're not going to be back in the same room together until then. That's again, it's tough, but once you <clears throat> come up with a system, it works. We got a system. In February 1st, back in the same room, is that like you guys just playing around a time where you can all figure out how to do that to write together? I mean, what's uh, what's the thing? We're going to just, uh, we originally, so I'll just, things, we had other plans, they changed, so now we're just going to go to the studio. We're going oh, right sick. to the studio. We're going to figure out in the next week or so exactly where and how long, and we're just going to go, and um, we're going to see what comes out. It might be three or four songs. It might be a record. But it, we're just going to go. It's time. It's time for us to get in there just so we have stuff ready. That said, we're certainly not done pushing our new record, Daylight, because it only came out in August. And yeah. still so many people haven't heard the record. And it's the best songs we've ever written. And we want people to hear the record. So next year's service is certainly still going to be Daylight, pushing Daylight, getting people to come back and finding new people, new listeners and new new uh, new uh members of the community um, while also hopefully trickling out some new singles and whatnot. You know, that that's the hope right now. Nice. Dude, I mean, you guys, uh, the last couple things you put out are EPs, which is kind of sick. They're just kind of, I like that. It's uh, you kind of just keep spitting out the EPs. Uh, at least you did with survival. Then I felt like when I found you guys also, I had new music and it's like, I mean, it's just like song after song of just it's all bangers i mean you guys just throw throw together an ep of bangers and get it out quick and i i to me love it well, the it's most nice recent one is like music. pretty long isn't it no it's got six a songs decent number. Uh, six you know, yeah 
think it's you know what it is? 18 um, minutes. Actually... 18 minutes of just <clears throat> Look, heat. So here's my my thought on that. I think the use of the term EP has been getting progressively used less and less. Less and less is that being attached to records. LP is still being attached. Bands love to say debut LP, new LP, LP2, LP3. So that's still being used, and you register LP in your mind as a full length. But we've found that so many bands are releasing shorter records, but they're still calling them albums or records. So we, we've we never said the Survival EP, the Daylight EP. We say album or record okay. because because it is. You know, we put out a 12-inch you know, vinyl, one-sided vinyl. Um, here's another way to boil it down. Spotify does not use the term EP at all. They only use album and single. And singles, And for yeah. them, what, what, what uh, constitutes an album? It's seven tracks. That's it. It's not length. It's tracks. If you have seven tracks, it's an album. If it's under seven tracks, oh. it becomes a single. So that's what Spotify does. Whereas Apple Music does recognize single versus EP versus album. Um, and they constitute that an album is eight tracks. So Survival comes up on uh, Apple as uh, an album, I believe. I, I'm fairly certain. Um, so for us, uh, especially with the addition of how much more the single is pushed by most of the industry, like singles is what people are releasing. Yeah, they'll like um, release half the album on of singles now. You just get like a new single every like few weeks until like they build up the album for a year. I I find that such an interesting shift because like uh, sometimes by the time you've listened to like you've heard the singles, you've listened to the sa- the seven songs, and then they put out like four more and call it the album. It feels like you've already almost exhausted like the listens on it. Which is so. The science there, in my opinion, one, you get to use the same ISRC code for the track, the single. So all those plays from that single, they immediately appear on the album when the album comes out. So the album will start off out at whatever all the singles are total. The album starts at that many tracks right out the gate. So when the bands are posting uh, week one, look how many streams. Really, that's months of streaming of singles. That's accumulated. Of course, interesting. But, but you know that you know that's just how it is. That's just what everybody does. That except for the artists who still choose to surprise drop a record, no single, which does exist. It's not really the most used method, from what I'm sure you've seen. Uh, that's more yeah. rare these days. Whereas in the past, before streaming, what do you mean single? You're talking in the 80s, there were singles in 70s on seven inches that like that was happening. But then after that, coming into modern day, like punk and rock, it's just album come out, record, record. It's just you'd go and pick up the record at your the CD at your local record store when it came out. They came out. You yeah, listen. Single was more related to like radio hits and pop hits right. and things like that. Right. right. Um, <clears throat> so it, it almost feels devalued now. Like, um, Here's another term that was used forever. Uh, filler tracks. Filler tracks makes me feel so sad. But there, was, <laughs> there was years of time where artists chose to have filler tracks in between hits just because they had to have them. Knowing, already calling it a filler track, for me, it just 
kind of stinks. It just sucks. I don't yeah. know. It's just it's, just an admission of phoning it in. Is kind it of just a doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel good. Um, Skillet had a few of those on their albums. Yeah, I remember. <laughs> yeah, you're like what? <laughs> um, <clears throat> so for us, having no fat to trim, yeah. having like be, being able to leave and be like, yo, every song rocks. Every song is good. I don't I, know if we're going to give them all the single treatment, but uh, mo- all of these are, are ready to rock. And and another factor, as you're both aware, attention span, it gets less and less over the years. The attention I'm guilty span is, of that. It's so gone. And people, because things are so easy at your fingertips, there's less urgency. It's really impossible to get somebody to listen to a full record Especially if you put it on the internet and it's 41 minutes, 41 minutes. <laughs> I'm in the middle. Okay. I have a bunch of friends who are, are big periphery fans and uh, I've never listened. I had never listened to a periphery song in my entire life. I missed everything periphery. Not one song could I ever, I could, I ever heard. And I was like, I, you know what? Just for the fun of it, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to hit every single periphery album. I'm going to listen to each one. And in the discord that I have with my friends, I'm going to just do my own little rate and review on how I feel about it. And I was like, at the first one, I go, uh, are all of these over an hour long? Because that's not easy to get through. <laughs> it's like, I, but you know, I, it's so funny. Cause uh, you know, I feel like if I was like, go back 15, 20 years i would have been like my favorite band put out an hour in 15 minute album hell yeah because you buy the record and all you do is just put that on your car and play it till it doesn't work anymore if you go back 15 20 years you you didn't even know how how long the record was there was no option to see you just put it on or put it in and you know i remember like some of the bands i like would put out goldfinger it's like a 19 track album 19 songs and you're just excited to get and you're you're just sitting there listening maybe you're reading the lyric book out of the CD going through it or looking at who they thanked or it's different now there's no question you now you immediately see how long and you're like ah, ah. and so <laughs> look a lot of great full lengths of friends bands have came out in 2023 that are 20 minutes 22 minutes 23 minutes 21 minutes they're not even that long, but they're they're the tracks are shorter. There's more tracks on them. Suddenly, it constitutes as an album. We put out a record that's 18 and a half minutes long. It's only two and a half minutes shorter than somebody's full length. It, you know, it, what is the real difference there? I, I don't I don't think it matters anymore. So at least for us, we have to been victim to we must get a full length. We must get a full length. And then literally last week, we were like, it doesn't matter. We just need to have good songs. Yeah. That's what I love, man. I love that every single one I'm there, like in it from start to finish. And then I, I'll just turn it on again, start it from the beginning. So not, not for nothing because we are catalog. We have a bunch of records, but we don't have a tremendous amount of songs. We're rehearsed in the entire catalog. We could play any song at any time. You know, It's amazing bands that have 300 songs in their catalog, but how many of those songs get played? Yeah, you're bound to a set list for sure. Oh, I spent a lot of many years, you know, working for an artist who played the same set list for their fans pretty much every tour. Maybe one song might change, but 
just so many songs in the catalog that never saw the light of day ever. And it's like, I don't know. I, it doesn't feel like a good use of time these days to, to invest into something that may never do anything at all. How did Def Leppard take that kind of criticism? Yeah, well, uh, not very well. He, uh, <laughs> he fired me on the spot. I was going to say, you and, used uh, to work with him. Correct, correct. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. So, I, anyway, it, we're going to the studio probably a couple weeks, figuring out where, with who. And then um, the goal is to churn out, hopefully, another album. And if we come up short, we come up short. And if we overdo it, then it, maybe it'll be the longest record we've put out. We'll, we'll see. But we're awesome. excited. Um, it's I get the uh, the way you've talked about some of the, your previous experiences in music. It feels like you've been in the music world for a minute. Um, I definitely want to kind of dig into some of that. But you have connected with a podcast called Growing Up Christian. So let's go a little bit further back and talk about some of your roots there, man. Uh, we always like to get into what people grew up in and how they where they went and how they look back on it is kind of where the youth group kid angst is that you pour into your songs. Like you're over chlorinating a pool. I did attend a youth group. I did. Um, so I was raised Roman Catholic. Yep. Our mortal enemies uh, is Protestants, but we'll make this work. <laughs> well, I think I said to you, like, I'd love to come on because it's, it is different especially in the last couple of years, as I've gotten closer uh, with people who were raised Christian yeah, and some of them, you know, have a much different life than I had. <laughs> um, um, That's a good way. Raised Roman Catholic, um, Italian. Uh, Real, like deep, deep blood Italian, like parents. Yes. Grandparents. Yep. Okay. Went, went to Mass every Sunday, received, was baptized, communion, confirmation, uh, went to uh, religion classes, which was a very normal thing on Long Island. CCT. The Catholic, just so many Italian Catholic people. I would say in my grade, 85%, 90% of the people once a week would leave school to take the bus to the church to have religion classes. It was very normal. Like that, that was most people, most people. Um, uh, that's so interesting group, to me to think of like a public school where like that large percentage of students just take the bus to you leave school for that right it's during the day yes. you get an excuse no 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 school. we would go after school oh okay I know go there are people school. who have left school to do it depending on when their maybe their church had it I've heard those right. stories as well but I was gonna say that would be nuts like half Ours day Wednesdays like <laughs> drop off after I think it was every other week maybe some people, you know, clearly couldn't be bothered, hated it. They just like had to do it. You know, it's just something you had to do. Um, but that's where it ended because it was so, it didn't really integrate into my normal daily life as far as school, at school, not spoken about. It's like we, we all had to do it, but we didn't, it didn't impede us or impact us at school in any way. Uh, at home, uh you know, we, we did a, a lot of the rituals. Catholicism is very ritualistic, mm -hmm. um, very like just by the book. And like, it really is. <laughs> if It's just like Gregorian chanting and kind of 
mindlessly going. It, it really didn't. Looking back, I know that we're, I'm going to jump for a second, but looking back, it's like everyone's just kind of autonomously doing, and then you leave. Yeah, you're like on autopilot almost. And then it's over. And most people, most in my experience from that part of my life, the second they left the church, it's over. My family, it was all all the time. At the house, you know, they'd be running the rosary at night. My mother, my aunt, uh, my grandmother did it. Um, there was a lot of prayers at during, you know, before bed for dinner, dinner table. There were a lot of prayers that were happening. Um, but it still wasn't like summertime. Suddenly, you, it didn't really matter as much in the <laughs> summer because it was the summer. Ah. Um, we weren't forbidden from watching any sort of fantasy films or any sort of spirit movies uh, like, a, like a lot of people that I have come to find out were. Um, so it was all like pretty, I mean, it was all just tr- like part of the daily life. It was at least a, a traditional aspect for you. How many of, I mean, did, did you come across kids in your, in that world that were like really, so I guess this is what's always interesting to me is like, you're all in it, all 80, whatever percent of your grade, you're all in it. You're all doing it because their parents are doing it and they're still doing it. So you have this entire generation of adults who are bringing their kids into it. They're in, they're into it to varying extents, but at least traditionally it's important to them. Uh, or maybe there's some Catholic guilt or fear of their kids, like, you know, going to hell or them going to hell. We don't know how that kind of stuff can play into it, but you have for whatever, to whatever extent, all these parents are into it enough where they're having their kids go through the full, all the programs. And then when they all are in your experiences, when everyone was done, uh, with high school and could do their own thing that most people just didn't do that anymore. So for some reason, no, it I, didn't no, I, I would say I would no. when we left, like the, for, when, what I meant was when we okay. would leave, we wouldn't talk about it any further as kids. Uh, correct. Okay. I actually think most people, if I was to quickly look through Facebook, probably still are. They probably still are not not either practicing or non-practicing Catholic people, like just kind of still doing the routine. Um, okay. Either either at the same or different church wherever they moved, they found a new church. But it was if they're still on Long Island, it's probably a Catholic church. Um, they probably didn't try something different out. Um, I think it's very interesting. It's been made aware to me that the idea of confession is a very interesting Catholic. Catholic thing where you can get in the booth, kind of admit your sins to the priest and kind of wash your hands and walk away. And for me, because that was instilled with me at a very young age, I I really did believe, well, if I get in that booth and just admit these things to this person behind the screen who can't really see me, they're going to say some stuff. They're going to tell me what to do, how many prayers to say, and I'm just, I'm good now. It's over. I can just walk away. (laughs) <laughs> Apparently that, that, that is really bizarre to most other Christian people yeah. really like, uh, that's kind of like a, wow. Okay. Well, that's something. Um, yeah. We got to carry it's our important kids. that you, yeah, it's important that you carry it around forever. 
Yeah. <laughs> but it right. slowly builds on your back until you're like a Dark Souls character with like 300 pounds of stuff up there. Then you take it out on your children later and their children's children <laughs> do the same. It's That's our tradition. It was just like the, 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 um, the Christian like fear that I don't think that is nearly as prevalent in Catholicism. I really don't. Catholicism is much more business. Like looking back, it's business. It. It's business. They pass around a bucket at, during the, during the services, people put money in, they feel good putting five bucks in there. They feel like now their prayer might get answered, putting five bucks in there. They also believe, which is great. They believe in Jesus. They believe in God. That's great. Whatever they believe in, whatever gets them through at night when they're having a bad day, this is what my mother said to me, and it really made me click and actually is what brought me back to God, which we can get to. My mother said, when I go to sleep, when I lay down at night, I, I have my faith. At least I have my faith. My faith is something that keeps me going tomorrow. Like even when I have the worst day ever, I know that he loves me and I know that I'm, I'm cared for and, and I, you know, I'm, a, I'm a child of God. And I have Jesus and, and that makes me able to go to sleep peacefully and wake up and get back to business tomorrow. That really resonated with me as an adult. It made me really rethink a lot of things. Um, it's kind of like a grounding thing, a comforting thing. You feel like you're kind of when even when everything's chaos, there's still like this fundamental thing that you can go back to the, and plant your flag in that doesn't change in a way, you know, it's a pivot when everything else is mo in motion. A hundred percent. It's, uh, in, in fact, I say this to people all the time. I think it's very important that everybody has faith in something. It doesn't necessarily have to be a religion, but if you don't got the one thing at night that at least there's this, that that is where I think hopelessness and despair really starts to overwhelm a human. Yeah. I have no faith in anything or anyone or any anybody, nothing. I, I, I'm essentially cho choosing to just give up. Yeah. And that is for me, you know, I'm a really uh I'm really um someone who tries really hard to help um people see past suicidal thoughts and that's like my my biggest thing with, with uh with mental illness is, is, uh, just trying to help bring people back from that place. Um, and I think having a faith in something, religion or anything is a really great stepping stone to get out of that place. Yeah. It's funny. I, some things I've been learning somewhat recently, uh, is just the way, because we're at a kind of a weird crossroads in our culture of like, um, when it comes to faith and that's because we see bad actors in, in religious systems constantly. Um, but, or, you know, people weaponizing it for political power, things like that. We see the worst of it and we associate that onto everybody else. Or, you know, you look at the way people vote in mass scale uh, and that's upsetting to a lot of people with more progressive values. Uh, when they look at people who are in religious systems um, in the way that they're more likely to vote. But when it comes to, uh, individual or collective uh, groups where you, you like, 
it's easy to just say like based on you know certain political outcomes that you disagree with that religion's toxic or problematic but when you look at the way that it impacts people on an individual scale their mental health their their community their belong their sense of belongingness um their real sense of unconditional love i think religion does get a bad rap for uh saying that you're not welcome if you don't agree with me on everything I think that exists and the more fundamentalist you get, but there's plenty of circles where, you know, there, you can, there's, there's a window in which you can uh, exercise a different sets of beliefs before your uh, struggle to find yourself at home there. And you can look at the positive outcomes on people who participate in religious practices. Like when you look at whether it's the, how meditation or prayer impacts uh, the individual when you when you look at like overall giving, you know, progressives want to denigrate religion a lot uh, for some of the harm they do, but they're also more likely, by a large amount, to give to charities, and not the kind that they don't like, just good charities that are helping the people who need it the most. Um, it, it there's a lot of positive that comes from it. Um, you know, you do have to balance that with maybe collectively what you can see and, and how that might hurt marginalized people to some degree or another. But on an individual level, when it comes to your mental health, like there are there are benefits to to being in that and how that impacts the individual. And we see like such an increase in, in loneliness in uh, in just people in general right now, not having any real sense of belonging, no real community. Uh, and that's that's something that religion does provide. So I, there's a lot to criticize, but there's also a lot of positive aspects of it that I think um, get overlooked that aren't being replaced 100%. elsewhere. It's not, we don't have 100%. bowling leagues anymore. Uh, we don't have, there's a lot I, of stuff that we don't have to replace uh, what the best parts of religion does have to offer. You know, it's funny. You did say something in there that resonated with me. I find it at least amongst my peers, my peers who are religious people and they're, they all practice different faiths are way more open to conversation with people who don't see um, all 10 points exactly the same way than the people that are also peers of mine who are anti-faith and or, you know, proud atheists um, who I have a difficult time sometimes talking about certain things because they're, it, it, yeah, it's very weird how the coin flipped from when I was younger to now. Um, where I, I'm, I'm just so willing to. I'm. I, I think it's because I'm a very neutral person. I, I'm very as far as like everything. I'm pretty centrist, pretty down the middle. So uh, uh, over the years, it's interesting to see. Some some of my friends that lean so far one way are, are really very similar to some friends of mine that lean very far the other way. It, 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 at least mentality wise, it's very interesting. Yeah. To me. Um, Horseshoe theory complete. Just- yeah, it's just tough. It's really really tough for me because I just have people in my life of all kinds because I just like to give people the benefit of the doubt before just shutting them out. I, it's just not in my nature to do that. Maybe that's a flaw, but that's just who I am. And that's just, in fact, how I like to be, um, until someone takes it too far and then it's okay. 
this isn't going to work. This is it's like that's too much. Yeah, uh, I don't I don't agree <laughs> with these very basic things. That that's a little too too far for me to really be able to like stand with you on on this right here. I just simply can't. Um, but as far as I don't know Catholicism and at least my my experience with with my faith. Yeah, um, I don't, I, I'm glad I was raised. I'm glad I was raised in a faith because it, as I got older, I, I did question my faith, which I think is important. Um, and I started, as I started touring at a very young age, 18, I started meeting uh, lots of people, uh, not just Jewish people who were pretty much the only other people that I, you know, as a child really was around there. We might've had a five, you know, five Muslim people in, in my school, five. But I didn't know anything about their religion, anything about their culture, nothing. Just that they were there. And then they were nice. That's it. You know, um, as I started traveling, started becoming a global traveler, it changed. And I started making friends with people of all kinds of faiths. Then I actually started having interest and started learning and asking them directly from a person, um, which for me is easier to learn than Wikipedia. Wikipedia is great, but it's easier for me to like hear the way we're talking right now about our experiences. It's easier for me to soak that in and yeah. actually like understand, oh, that's why, okay, that makes sense to me actually. Um, and uh, that's what made me go back and really realize that I, I feel very blessed that I did, that my mother did raise us in a faith because it feels good having had that experience because I like sharing that experience with someone who celebrates something different or someone who celebrates nothing or tries to tell me that it's stupid. Um, it's nice to be able to say, well, you know, I have my experiences I could share with you and they were all pretty, pretty good. Um, again, Catholicism maybe isn't the best one because there's not too, there's not too much to it. The biggest thing was, well, the Pope hates gay people. Yeah. Okay. He's and coming around wrong. now. But. Not anymore. Right. It's wrong. It's wrong to be homosexual. Okay. That was immediately as a person my age was like, well, that's stupid. That that can't be the way. I don't agree with that. I can't I that's not right to me. And then now fast forward, as I'm now, as you just said, like I'm 37, it's like, oh, that has changed now. Finally, the church has moved things around to like let the old people know. We need to be more open to the idea that that isn't the definition of the Bible and maybe somebody is wrong here, um, which is nice, especially since so many Christian, as I've come to learn, uh, uh, cultures were the the exact opposite, the exact opposite. In my town, there's a there's a Christian church that has the the pride flag on the whole side of the church. And it's been like that for years, 15, 20 years. And they have a, a female priest or pastor or whatever it is. And I'm just like, it's just so bizarre to me. This was so by the book. It's just like this. I understand the world has existed for a really long time. And some cultures, are, some things are maybe a little outdated. Um, I don't know. Yeah. That's it. Well, God did throw fire rocks at them. So. <laughs> right, right. There's that. That that said, you know, there is something, I know you said actors, it, there is something to say about traditions as well. Absolutely. I just watched, a couple of weeks ago, I watched a very long segment of 
King Charles, the new, uh, you know, British king, right? Vampire. Is it called King Charles? <laughs> um, doing his like inaugural, inaugural speech and the whole gimmick. And I'm watching it and I'm like, this looks like LARPing. This is yeah. cosplay. <laughs> this, is, this is cosplaying nowadays. Nowadays, I'm looking at it going, this guy, this is like attending a San Diego Comic-Con. Everybody can do this. Um, and, and of course, it's sacred. You know what I mean? It's special. It's it's putting all the, the clothing on and 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 running all running it all. It's just so you're keeping something um, that's been passed down, and you're trying to keep it as accurate as possible. Yeah, it's the same way that they have um, they have like Civil War reenactments. People that spend all this time to volunteer to to rehearse to do these like reenactments of something. Cause you, you want to keep it alive. You want to keep these memories of, you know, so, so, so someone there's great, great, great grandfather, whatever it is, who was involved in something and they, they feel very drawn to want to be a part of it. I think that's really special. And that, that is something that I like about the Catholic faith specifically is that there is still that, that still exists. There still is this system of this is how it's done and this is what we wear and this is who's part of it. And this is the school you got to go for it. If you want to become a priest um, or nun or whatever it is you want to do, if you want to move, you know, but like everything, of course it's business as well. And it's politics as well. And we know that um, Long Island, I think because one of the, my favorite podcasts, the guys, uh, he's from Long Island and it sounds like that's a pretty conservative area by a comparison to a lot of Northeast. Did, well, so did well, you guys get a lot of, uh, was there a, a segment of Catholics that were kind of like the real stringent birth control is wrong? Yes. You know? Yes. A hundred percent. Oh, this, again, I'm, I'll speak transparently with you guys because this is always very healing for me. My mother kicked me out of the house. She thought I was gay. Interesting. You know, this was, I was young and she, She's one of the greatest moms in the world. We're past it now. She has immense guilt from it. She she also grew and changed. But that when I was younger, she just thought this of me. And um, there's no question that I'm certainly not straight. But you know, I I I'm I'm not a gay man. Um, um, and it was she the girls' uh, jeans, wasn't it? No, I, I, no, I dressed like a punker. I, I wore like, I had, I had the vest with, I had a mohawk. Like I, I, there was an era where I was an emo kid. Like a lot of people, I wore like a youth large shirt and had the hair like this for a minute. Yeah. I thought that was the thing. I wore like a, a, a you know, a, a track jacket. That era existed for me and I got into all the bands, but I, I fell in and out of it really, really quickly. Um, but no, yeah, she just, and uh, it was tough, man. And, I don't think it really caused me much trauma, to be honest with you, because it kind of like went away really quick, like it never happened, and it didn't get addressed again for many, many, many years. Um, How old no, were you my, when that I, happened? I think I was seventeen. Okay, 16 and where'd you or go? 17. What'd you do when that happened? I went to my friend's house and just crashed there. Yep. Yeah, and my sister was pissed at my mom. It was really confusing, but again. 
again, when I look back, I find out all the things that my mother, all the stresses that my mother was under at the time. And it makes way more sense that she just wasn't all there. And you know, she had a lot going on in her life at the time with, with, you know, her life. So, um, yeah, yeah, that was definitely a thing. I think that's cool that you can see that side of it too, you know, because that's one of the things we, we talk about a lot is, you know, some people are really hard on their parents. And I know, like, at least in the environment that we grew up in, like, there is a lot of peer pressure among parents there, you know, and like, like in most environments, like the most extreme person kind of sets the pace for what's going to be the standard. And, right. you know, there's a lot of you know, things that we weren't, there was things that we weren't allowed to watch and stuff like that. And looking back on it, I'm like, well, I, I, a lot of that, like, I distinctly remember a group of people talking about it as if it was the worst thing ever. And that's when we were told, you know, and so there's, there's factors there that you have to, you have to cut your parents a little bit of slack. Yeah. Some of that stuff. Especially if it was passed down. I think my grandma, I mean, again, different era, you know what I mean? Like, Catholic schools, they, they used to hit the children, you know, they, they, they hit the children, not my era. And I didn't go to a Catholic school, but before me, that, that was just normal. Like, I mean, it's in movies, you know what I mean? You, that was a very normal thing. You got hit with the ruler. And then when you hear, when I hear my grandfather saying it, it's like, oh, that really was a thing. It was a different thing. It was normal for a parent to to spank their kid or whatever. That was like a normal thing, right? Like that it was. Oh yeah. Um, several states still, uh, I've recently learned that several states uh, still don't have laws against corporal punishment in schools. You can still do that. And I, I believe it. That's crazy. I, I, again, you know, like I remember my grand, he never oh, did here. it. He never <laughs> did it. But my grandfather was our father. Basically he raised us. I remember he would threaten his belt. I remember that he never did it. He threatened his belt, but he never did it. But my, my mother and my aunts, they're like, no, I mean, we, we received the belt, you know, but you're talking about a different time. That's what everybody on the street did the same thing. And that was all the information they had. They didn't have the internet. They didn't have all the psychological studies. They just knew that if you want a kid to stop doing what they don't want you to do, you threaten them with violence and it works. And it does actually work in the short term. It just doesn't actually like, it's so funny. I think of like, even like my brothers-in-law who they were the kind of kids who like, they, I think they were grounded from the start of high school to the end of it. All of them. They just always (laughs) caught drinking, always caught smoking weed, always being grounded, always getting yelled at, always getting like, just, no, it just didn't fit. It didn't do anything. Cause like what, what, what most punishments don't deal with is like underlying problems in human psychology. It's just like, uh, we use fear to control and it works and it gets you the immediate outcomes. And it, you know, at that point, some of the immediate outcomes is parents not having to deal with the shame of their community because their kids acting out and they don't, they think their kids acting out or the community thinks their kids acting out because they're not good parents. And that's just not the case. And that's not how all children work. So there are so many factors involved that uh, they weren't aware of. And they're just like, how do we get the immediate outcome to what we need to happen? Uh, And of course, their thought was less selfish than that. Their hope is that it translates long term. It just, as we know now, I just want their kids quiet. Yeah, (laughs) that's what I want. Belt if necessary. See, not heard, motherfucker. (laughs) 
Um, yeah, I don't, you know, same thing though. I think that my grandfather and my grandmother were able to go to church and confess and then move on. Yeah. Like, yeah. like you know I mean? Well, this is what happened this week, but I confess and I'll do the Hail Marys. Like you said, I'll play the rosary three times and all right, I'll be good. I'll go back to work. Like it never happened. You know, that that's got its own problems. There's no question. But sure. <laughs> did you, did you have, I mean, I'm assuming you probably went to the same church pretty much the whole time you were a kid. The whole time. So you didn't have a lot of interaction with like other priests. Well, our church was like a revolving door of priests, actually. We we had different people. Every time one molested a kid, he had I'm sorry. <laughs> you don't you don't need to be sorry because in fact <laughs> I was I, I was gonna get there at some point, but oh, shit. the pri- uh, the priest that we, we ended up were closest with, um, this guy Father Tom, he was one of those priests. Fuck. Um not none of us, but he used my you know, my mother was very close with him and he used to come to the house for dinner. That was a very normal thing. Um I'm I'm fairly certain it's still a very normal thing on Long Island. Um to to some people get are just more involved with the church than others and they become closer with the priests, they become friends and they invite them for dinner. He used to come to our family events all the time. Um he remarried my mom to my my stepdad at the time. Uh and uh we were very close with him and when that, when all that was unraveling, he he definitely got caught up in that. I, I don't really recall if he had actually um, physically touched anybody, but I know I remember that he at least, at the very least, had pornography and things like this. And um, wow, that was really jarring for my mom. And that was again another interesting era in my life and with my faith because my mom struggled to keep her faith during that time, sure. big time. She left the church. She went to a different church. She didn't feel comfortable going there. Um, she eventually came back, but she does. It never became the same. She she goes to a few different churches now. She chooses different different churches to go to. She she's more particular about which priest she wants to you know hear the sermon from versus others. She doesn't. It changed her. There's no question. She still believes, but it, suddenly how how close she was to the faith. It definitely pulled her out a little bit like it would to anyone who believes in anyone who then lets them down in a disappointing way, not necessarily, you know, screws them over, but disappoints them in a way of something despicable or, or just even simple, i.e., you know, even when like you love an actor and you find out like something horrible about them and suddenly you're like, I'm bummed now, or you like a band and found something I don't like, I heard something through the great, I, now I don't like them. Like it, it happens. You know what I mean? Like anything you look up to, it's going to shift the way you feel about stuff. It just does. It just does. Yeah. There, we, I had a, uh, a person that was in, I, I guess in a leadership role in a lot of different spot, you know, I was fairly, I knew this person fairly well. I'd spent a lot of time around him and, uh, they they got busted on one of those you know it was like one of those uh, vigilante internet sting groups that poses kids and oh okay you know yep find like catch a find uh, people in chat rooms right, and stuff right try yeah, to, this, try, right. This, try to lure them in a little try to like we have suspect we suspect and we're gonna try to lure the person in 
Yeah. And uh, uh, when it came out, I mean, I don't know if there was legal ramifications for it because of how I really don't understand the how that interaction yeah, me, works me between these vigilante groups and legal system. But um, it was shocking. I mean, unbelievably shocking and sad and just, I don't know, just really disgusting. And it, yeah, it 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 rattles you. I mean, right. it's I don't know what's I honestly I don't know what would be worse to like have your confidence shaken in an institution that you trusted as much as, you know, person trusts the church or something, you know, especially if they've been a lifelong participant or uh, I, I don't know, a person. And, and really, that's, you, you know, your mama, she went through both. Yep. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that pushes you, you know. It, what did that? What did, what were you when that happened? And you saw that around how old were you? Were you still living at home, a teenager? No, that was when I was. No, I was on the road. Okay. I think I was. I was. I was shocked, but that was in my era where I was not really. I I had stopped. I I chose to no longer receive communion before that had happened. I no longer felt like I was. I should. I, I I told myself it didn't feel right going up there and receiving the communion because I didn't believe, mm-hmm. but I still would go to church with my mother because it made her feel good and that made me feel good. May I'm her I'm her only son. I'm her firstborn. She would ask me, I would go. It did slowly become less, and eventually it became just going on Christmas. Um, again for her because she asked and it was really special. But she doesn't even ask us anymore, really. Some of my sisters practice full-time still every week and some don't um yeah it didn't really it didn't really impact me i didn't i didn't feel anything from that i, I don't know why maybe i should have but I, did you I find mean, out you about it through was it like a media story or something like that or no, did through you her share that with you through her she she like told me and I, I don't know if i even ever looked up something on the internet i don't think i did to be honest i think i just let it go yeah, once you remove yourself from those spaces, it can, I don't know, it can be hard to, like, to be honest, sometimes there's like that, You're, I mean, for you, there's an element of surprise because it was someone you personally knew, but then there's there's a part of you that's like, you're far removed, and like, you know, my mom will talk to me about people that we knew, that she still knows, but I knew 20 years ago, I haven't seen in forever, and like, you just kind of hear it as a story about somebody um, that right. you just don't have that connection to. And you, you might feel the the disappointment or you feel something in the sense that like you've got bad information, but it doesn't connect on that kind of personal level anymore because you just right. don't, you've eliminated the personal connection for the most part. Man. So uh, do you remember, cause it sounds like, like confession, there was a, there was an element of like, unloading and ridding yourself of some of your, you know, feelings of guilt and stuff. Do you remember like any particular thing that you were stressed about confessing that you were like real nervous about, or was there just like a faith in the fact that like this never leaves the booth and I don't care if this guy knows it's me. Uh, uh, no, I, 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 I like right now I'm, I'm doing this with my hands. Think like thinking about, <laughs> while I'm sitting there in the pew waiting for to be next because 
when we would go, there would be like certain times where there there's someone in there. So you'd have to wait. I think, I think, uh, right. End of high school or, or right out of high school. I think I was, I think I would, I think I told the priest that I, I cheated. I think I told, I cheated on my girlfriend and I think I was scared to, to, I think I was petrified of admitting that to the priest because we're not married. I'm, I'm 18 years old, but, um, the fear a little bit, you know, was definitely there. Um, how many Hail Marys was that? Probably three, five. Wow, that's a good deal. Not not many. Man, what a great system that is. I want to be Catholic. <laughs> I'm fairly certain something, again, a lot of it's blended together, but it was probably like, you know, you you need to be more honest and you need to be honest with yourself and, and you need to ask yourself when you're in prayer at night, like if this is, you know, how would you feel if it was done to you? And the, the classic, not really like religious things, but more like good person ethics just standard good morals. Like, do you want this done to you? How would it feel if you were in the person's shoes? And, and if you feel that way, then maybe this is not where you're supposed to be. And instead of doing these things, you could just not be doing that by just not being with the person. Yeah. Sound. It sounds as easy (laughs) as that, as we all are aware, it's not as easy as that. It's not that black and white. That's especially as the earth becomes 2023 and now is moving into 2024. And, the rules just don't apply the same way they've ever applied is especially when it comes to relationships. There's just seemingly no rules. Most of the time, it's just, <laughs> it's just a, far uh, outside the realm of traditional relationships. At this ether. Point. The ether is just, you know, everyone's poly now, man. Yeah, everybody's something. And <laughs> I don't, that's fine. I, I'm happy. My, my childhood best friend is in a, is in a polyamorous marriage. So happy. And he tells me about it and, I'm so stoked for him. I'm like, this is so cool that you figured it out and you guys are happy. And yeah. And he's, Oh, we have a whole group of people we meet up with every, every Tuesday of the month. And it's all other people that are polyamorous. I'm like, yeah, that's, it's just finally granted (laughs) always anything with intimacy is going to have some taboo to it. Always some, but the amount that's shaken off has just drastically changed now. Like drastically drastic. Like, you can't judge anybody for something. You can't. You're not. Not only shouldn't you. You're really not allowed to, because it, suddenly you're you're a bad person for. You can't judge like that. Like, what do you know? You don't know. In my opinion, like, yeah, it's funny. I can't. It's what it's those things where like all the, those kinds of shifts. You're like, I can't cognitively wrap my mind around some of it. I can academically go yeah of course that's fine you're an adult you can do whatever the fuck you want it's like if it works for you it works for you and then you like that's just when you know some people are just different they're wired differently because it's like i you think about those kinds of i'm like i i can't wrap my mind around not caring about something like that like you know what i same thing with same thing with the faiths i i have so many friends that are non-binary trans uh, uh uh bisexual metrosexual pansexual demisexual i start to learn from having these conversations and i always do because i am i do love learning i love soaking it in and sometimes certain things get said to me that make sense to me that i understand that clicks totally it's not ever that anything doesn't make sense to me 
that I don't think that ever happens, but um, I think uh, I, I, you know what? I, I'm really glad that the earth has chosen to change to allow for people to be what they want with who they want when they want. I think that that's super, super important for the continuation of uh, growth. We, we, we have to, as long as uh, everyone's safe and everyone is, and that no harm is coming to any person from what you're doing, then that's great. You know what I mean? That's great. For um, sure, man. I don't know. I have a question. Go ahead. So uh, I was listening to a interview that you did. I can't remember the name of the, it was like the first one that popped up on YouTube when I, when I looked up your name, but you were talking to this guy, he had blonde hair, kind of a, he was real into music and stuff. You were talking a little bit about being uh cause you were, you were a manager for some bands. Yeah. Right. For a long time. It sounded yeah. like, like a decade, right? Yeah. So you, you said a few things in that interview where you were just talking about like, you know, you're very cognizant of the kind of person you are to work with as a band, having been in that seat and dealt with people, you know, you talked about like be, you know, sticking around to help people carry out gear or, you know, just yes. saying thank you yes. for things. And yes. So that, that to me, it sounds like you, you're a, a person who's learned a lot of, good and bad things about dealing with people and who they are. Yes. I, I, I would like to have, so I, I also tour managed for a very long time. I still do it part-time, but the biggest role, at least in my opinion is customer service and knowing who you're working with um, and knowing how to, uh, adapting to the room very quickly because all the personalities are different and knowing how to please as many personalities as possible without pissing off some because it's almost impossible to not someone's going to be pissed no matter what happens it almost impossible to make it where everybody is truly happy um but i would say that i learned a lot of that i was an introvert as a kid actually it came later I was very um, to myself and my, my, my uh, actual father also was a very shy person. As I found out later in life, he's a very shy person growing up, kind of kept to himself. And um, I'm not that anymore. I haven't been that for a long time, but uh, I think that two things, I would say my experience with the church at a young age and also being in the Boy Scouts of America were two organizations that gave me tools of just Simple things like that, that someone else wouldn't even think of that go a really long way. I would also say that the fact I would also say to my, to a sad, not sad, but like a, a bummer thing. I wasn't often thanked uh, a lot for simple things like that. And that made me, that drove me further to want to do them spitefully because it was annoying. Now that I look back, I, I actually see how, I don't want to say that I was ever taken advantage of because there are people who are taken advantage of far worse, but I certainly was never not appreciated 
uh, for a lot of the things that I, I, I done uh, and was never told <laughs> that I, I was never thanked even, or it was any sort of small uh, kindness in return. Uh, didn't really ever come back favors uh, as well. Favor pool for me. Um, and I can say this confidently, the amount of favors that I've put out in my life that I've received back is just so unbalanced, so unbalanced that I do have bitter days when I have to think about that, but I do everything I can to not let that affect me. Um, man, people love to not return the favor. Such a normal human thing. So, so normal. They don't think you did a favor for them. And you're like, bro, I've done a, I've done a dozen favors for you. Hmm. Yeah. I imagine that's like a, a, that's a real, a real economy, uh, in your, in your business. Like, well, a lot of it seems built on favors. Like I, I, you know, whether it's show bookings or taking someone, putting someone on the bill, whatever, I can imagine there's a real, um, economy of contacts i'm sure is a big one yeah Yeah, people want to get paid that's the thing because it's a business like every other business music industry is a business i do have a little bit of disdain towards the music industry as someone who's been in it for a long time especially as someone who doesn't own a house or have a million dollars and is still (laughs) happily playing shows to sometimes 30 people um who 30 people who are genuinely moved by the music that I'm putting out there and by the message that we have. That means more to me. I, I have fulfillment comes in a, in a not a financially. Um, it'd be amazing if it, that ever changed and I was able to do this even more so uh, and be able to not work as much to compensate for the fact that I have to take off so much time to uh, do my art. But um, yeah, uh, I, I not everyone's raised the same way. Not, not everyone had that, you know, not everyone, everyone's different and that's okay too. But I, I do love being a person who is going to hold the door. I do love being a person who is going to watch every band that plays opening for my band or after my band. And I like to make sure that they see me standing there watching because I'll never forget being a youth and seeing a band I love side stage watching my crappy band play that that lasted with me to to today still currently yeah it was oh, a I'm band sure, called Scott punk band called the voodoo glow skulls and i will never forget that the guitar player just stood there and i watched him watch the entire set i will never forget i was 17 years old i'll never forget it that was 20 years ago i will never ever forget it because he did not have to as i've learned from working with bands that most bands don't most just go about their day and play their set and that's it. That's yeah, also it's like they clocked out after their shift. That's oh, totally yeah. okay. No shade. That's how you are. That's fine. It's just not how I am. And uh, I revere it very much because I feel very fortunate to still, after all these years, be involved in music. And finally, back more so doing what I always wanted to be doing the whole time, which is being an artist less working. I love being crew. I loved all the years. I love managing. I love, I'm sure I'll do it again, but right now I just love entertaining people. I love when someone tells me that their day was horrible and that they, they now are going to leave the venue stoked. That's great. Cause that's what I need for me to go to bed stoked that other people were moved. That's what I need. 
Yeah, you're fucking we, great at it, man. And I think what even just seeing your show, like in in hearing the passion in your voice, uh, all of you guys, just you're clearly a hundred percent, hundred ten percent. You're just in it. You're in it, and the the gratitude, the appreciation, the love for what you're doing is very, very palpable. Are you gonna say something, Casey? How old are you? Thirty-seven. Okay, so we're like the same age. I would imagine that there's because I did a lot of music stuff in college and it's like a whole bunch of us young people trying to be in bands and everybody's got this like idealized romanticized view of what that's going to look like with, you know, whatever record labels and all that kind of stuff as, as like bands get older and you, you know, as you're, you know, when you're a part of the music scene like after, you know, a lot of people have kind of like that, that was like a, a, you know, sowing their wild oats in college or something like that. And then they hung it up. Like, I imagine that the motivation for making music changes a lot. Yeah. And it's, it's less about like, uh, I don't know, I guess it varies by person, but is that like palpable among the bands that you spend time with now? And what ways is that good and what ways is it difficult, I guess? So I call those people fallen angels, actually. The people who decide I'm done now. I simply don't want to tour anymore. I did my years. I call them fallen angels. Um, and then they get to go live the real life while we still are out there um, drifting around in the ether. Um, again, everyone's different, man. I know plenty of bands that are... They're, they've always done well and they're, they're tremendous size and they're still grateful to be there. And I know bands that are just showing up for work. I know bands that the members don't talk to each other outside of work. It really is work. I was a crew person for people that are friends. I was a crew person for people that treated me like an employee, not a friend. Um, I've been in bands with people that were best friends that I don't, don't speak to any longer. I've been removed from bands, um, uh, against my choice, uh, in the past, which drove me to want to actually do crew. Actually, the last band that I was in when I was asked to leave the band drove me up the wall so much that I said, I don't want to play music anymore. It removed the desire for me to want to play music because I was so invested and then it was just taken away. And I said, screw that. And I immediately within a week, I think I flew out and I started working for my friend's bands, this band, a loss for words who are still a part-time oh. band. Still, still like yeah. shows a year. Yeah. You know, still a couple shows. That was the first band. I was like, I'm going to work for a band. Um, I think everyone that had the magic that is involved in the industry that that's been involved in the industry. Clearly the curtain's been drawn and they're seeing really how it works. I think everyone's reaction to that is different. Some people love it. Some people loathe it. Um, some people play the game, which is texted to me all of the time from industry people. You got to play the game. Just playing the game. Play the game. Playing the game. It's like, yeah, I, I got it. I know what business is. I know how to do business. And as this is every under, other industry as well. You have to play the game if you're doing business. I understand it. It's just when you start to see or feel like it's becoming more business, 
than it is genuine art. Is it art anymore? Or is it is it just business? It's, it's two art and business is two different things, two very different things. It's like I went and saw Godspeed, you black emperor. Was it Godspeed? Yeah, no, yes. Uh, with my buddy Chris years ago, I cried during the set because the show fucked me up. It was so powerful. Certain cinema, movies that I see, question thing, make me question my life, certain things. Like, I very upset. Very upset. I was on tour with uh, my buddy Pat from Light Years, a couple other people. We saw, um, or he's in a band called No Pressure as well now. Shout them out. Um, yeah. We went and saw Coco when it came out in the theater. I, dude, I wanted to go home. We left the theater. I was like, I, I have to go home. I, I can't believe that I'm on tour right now. I, my, I have to go back to my family. I feel urgency to go home to my family. I made a, I'm making a horrible mistake being on the road right now. I have to go home. That's how I felt. Like that to me is really special. And I don't know, man, when certain pieces of art start to become only business, it loses all that value. I don't know. That, that It seems like when you have, because for, you know, like for you, you know, you're talking about like it, it costs, you know, it costs everybody something to, to make and produce art and stuff like that. But for you, like you have to sacrifice in order to do this thing that you love. And that I think that's, that's gotta be reflected in the art that you're putting out. And I, th- I think that's kind of what I was thinking about is like, you know, as you get older and you have, you know, maybe you're married, maybe you have kids, Maybe you got a job that you're doing like music when you're, when you're younger, it can be a lot of things. It can be like actual, like art. It can be like, you know, just trying to maintain a sense of belonging. It can be like trying to push the idea of settling into some form of normal life down the road, you know, prolonging that at some point, but like to come to it in your, in your thirties and say like, you know, I only have so much free time. I only have so much money. I only have, you know, I can only do so much and give so much of myself to one or two things. And like, I care about this enough that I'm just going to pour myself into that. I'm going to sacrifice for this thing that I love. I, I don't know. I just, it seems like the inevitable byproduct. It's almost got to be better as a result. I mean, I, feel really good about the fact that there's not a soul out there that could possibly get away with saying that I'm doing this for anything other than self-fulfillment and bringing a positive message to people who want to hear it. Because like I said, I I am, I have, everyone's life experience is different. And again, because I stopped playing music for so long, when we started this band, which I can't believe I started at the time and was sitting there for days contemplating not when it was asked of me, I was more excited at 30 because I had not been playing music really. I was just working for bands and I had my fair share of experiences, both positive and negative. So you know what? I miss playing. I miss entertaining. The pandemic 
we all experienced and all of us experienced it differently. And for me, the coming out of the pandemic, that was the, the, the sure sign that I did not really want to work in the industry as much as I was because it was just people complaining. Whereas when I was playing, I was so grateful and happy that I got an, oh, another show, another tour. And every opportunity that has came for Keep Flying, I've, I feel very lucky. Don't feel entitled to. I don't feel it's owed to me. I feel genuinely stoked every time either I or our agent, our now agent Nina, get us booked on something. I'm like, that's so awesome that they want to have us. I cannot wait. And I hope that there's new people there for me to connect with. I, I'm really stoked. It still makes me excited. Um, even amongst my bandmates, all of us are different. We're taking off three months. That's a sacrifice for me, actually. The rest of the guys, the, they're, I'm sacrificing band time right now because for me, it, it, this has become like the biggest priority in my life because I, it just has. Currently right now, I'm just so, I'm so passionate about it. Not that the rest of my bandmates aren't. They love it. Thank God. Um, but man, Goldfinger, I think, did a tour that was like 360 shows in a year or something. That that formula is wow. a that, that formula has been dead for a long time. Now bands only tour like maybe maybe 80 shows in a year. Like all the tours are only like two weeks long. Like it's very common. Yep. If that was offered to me, I would have said yes before I even told the guys, hey, this was offered. I would have said yes right now and then said, how do I figure this out? How do I, how do I convince you guys to make this work? We have to do it because nothing would excite me more than to be like, we just did a 360 shows in a calendar year. Suck on that one. We really just did it. <laughs> Come on. We did it. Like that makes me, I'm so driven to want to just, and again, I think that's because of who we are. And the music that we play, the songs we have, the way that we perform it. I exercise on stage for 30 minutes every day. That's my exercise. I don't go to the gym. That's, that is my exercise. Happily. Um, that's, my, that's my thing. I miss it. When I'm off for three months, I feel lethargic. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Man, what do you fill the time with? For three months. You take three months off. How do you fill your time? Do you do like, you mentioned management. Confessional booth. Confessional booth. I have a little bit of work, a little bit of a little bit of time for my personal life, family. I, I've been. I used to collect a lot of stuff, uh, like not hoarder, but I was a collector of just pop culture, remember action figures, comic books. I during the pandemic, I just realized I don't need any of this. I I live out of my backpack ten months a year. Why do I have this? And so I, I'm going to reopen my eBay store and get that moving. That's like a part-time job for me, straight up. Oh, nice. Um, I'm sure I'll figure out some quick micro trips, and, and I don't know. I, I get bored very quickly. I get bored. Um, we're going back to the studio, like I said, in February, so looking forward to that. We'll work on songs. I, I, I run all the band, like all the social media and, and like the business, so there's things that need to be get done, but it's the winter. There's no tours for me to take right now for work. Mm -hmm. um, so. Okay. I got, I do have one more question. It's a little bit of a pivot, but it's about shows and, and your experience and, and what you've seen since, since the pandemic, since we were talking about it is um, 
So I feel like I spent several years not going to shows um, for whatever reason, even pre pandemic. I mean, I shouldn't say for whatever reason I got kids. Uh, I have yep. an eight year old. I get a six year old. I get a foster son who's 20 now, but he moved in right before the pandemic. Um, and it was like, I think I just my life. I don't know. I guess I just felt busy. If it wasn't 20 minutes from my house, I wasn't really going. I wasn't trying to figure out how to make it work. Sure. Um, and and then coming out of the pandemic, I still didn't necessarily feel that that craving, but I started going more. And then over the past like nine months to a year, I've gone to them regularly, at le- probably once a month, at least maybe twice. Right. Uh, it's become a pretty regular part of my life, at least over the past like six months. And I'm noticing like, oh, I'll go to their shows that I'll go to buy tickets to that. You know, I'm like, oh, I'll, what I, I drag my feet on, they sell out. I feel like th- there's a part of me from my vantage point that feels like they're like people are really into going to live events more that people want to go see concerts more. And I, I'm wondering if you see anything similar for that's literally just my own perspective. No, it, 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 it yes. And no, it's both. Everybody came back from the pandemic I'm, I'm just going to give you more just information. Everybody came back from the pandemic. Uh, the, the, uh, the venues were horrifically oversaturated. And actually, a lot of the tours did not uh, sell well. Um, we've seen a shift, like I said, in the uh, since then, 2022 on, we've seen a shift in the way that a tour is booked and how many of them get booked. If you like I said, if you notice, a lot of bands will do a full U.S. tour in three weeks. These tours used to be six weeks. Some of them used to be eight weeks. Not that long ago. Um, there's less. Ba- the bands are doing less cities to try to drive up people to tra- travel, and I think this this really trickles down from the top. If you look at Harry Styles, he announced his tour. It was only six cities, I believe. Many dates in each city, with Manhattan having the most. Basically, it was like festival style. You're going to come to me. We're going to save on the expenses because suddenly touring is just more money, um, and people don't have any, or people are not willing to um, trudge it out as as much as they used to. Um, just a lot more complaining about how little money there is, but there's never been money, so I don't really. It's not that I don't agree. I do agree, but there never was a tremendous amount of money in the first place. So, you know, I digress. Um, <laughs> so, and look, like look at Taylor Swift, right? Broke, broke records, merchandise records, ticket records. Also, only did some cities, many dates in each of the cities, getting people from all over the areas to come, drive, fly, whatever it was. That's trickled all the way down to the small club tours. You know, the small, small bands are still having to go out and do five, six weeks because they're, you know, bands like us oh, still only make 300 bucks on the guarantee. What does that pay for? Nothing. You know I mean? We basically take home zero of that. Um, but even on the club tours, 500 cap rooms, 300 cap rooms, 1,000 cap rooms, look at the tours. Just look at, look at the flyers and then Google the same band a tour flyer from even 2015, 2016, 17. They were just more cities, more dates, uh, more often. Band would do four tours in a year. Now you might see a band do two. 
They might do two in a short one. You know what I mean? It's just changed. Um, people, yeah. about, people value their time way more than they ever have. And that applies to everyone in music as well, as well as concert goers, show goers also value their time more. So someone like you who values their time and wants to go to the shows is going and others who felt the way that you used to feel currently are not going to as many shows or they're picking and choosing which ones they go to or as the festival, which we're seeing way more pop off in the United States now because that formula has been working in Europe and the rest of the world for decades longer. Now, finally, that's being adapted here and you're seeing way more people say, I'm just going to wait to buy the $300 ticket to the festival and see all those bands. Then I don't need to go see them at their own shows. I'll just see them at the festival. You're seeing a lot more of that as well. It's really a mixed bag. It's not that people are or aren't. Sure, tons of tours are still selling out. Some are not doing as well. Um, A lot of venues closed. There's less venues to choose from. So everything has changed so drastically that I, I don't think there's a definitive answer as to what all people are doing. But I would say that definitively for sure, everybody values their time more than they used to value their time post pandemic. Yeah. A lot of that seems to really be like thinking about the show flyers that you're talking about. Um, you know, I'm in the Worcester area, right? So I have the palladium, um, and, or, you know, I go out to Boston and there's several venues in Boston of varying sizes, but it, I think proximity clauses, my understanding of that is in the, the small area of Massachusetts, um, from Worcester to Boston being only an hour drive yeah. radius. It's, it's like the proximity clause kind of kills what people do around here. But yep. to your point, I, you know, it, it would be like there was a Boston or Worcester show. There was a Connecticut show. There's a Rhode Island show there. And I'm seeing less of that. They're kind of picking one in the area. Connecticut's usually a good one because it's an hour from me. It's an hour from Rhode Island. Like, but you're real you're seeing you're seeing less of the new england market get saturated by touring bands and you kind of have to decide whether or not you're up for the hour and hour and 30 minute drive for the band's agents it's it's business you know if you're like well if we split up all those shows and have them play all those places then they might only do 500 tickets but if we only do the one city i think we might be able to sell 1500 tickets let, let's do that and have it all be at the one venue. Also, it saves the band the time. They make what they would have made between the three shows in one show. So now their time is more valued. And you know what I mean? Like it, it's, it, it goes back to people valuing their time. There's is still there a plenty benefit of to selling out too? Is there a benefit to selling out? Do they, is there any increased payout because you guys sold out a show? Again, it depends on the deal. Every, every deal is different. You, you know, as far as settling a show, as far as contracted shows, you might have a flat guarantee with a percentage, like a break-even percentage back end. You might have a versus deal. It's this or this, depending on which is greater. Or you might have a straight door deal. You may, you receive X dollars, X percent after this amount. On door deals, yes, there is a lot of times where the percentage bumps at a sellout. So if you sell it out, instead of 65% you're getting 70% of the gross box box office receipts. That that that's a if it's a 2000 cap room and a $40 ticket that's a lot of money. 5% more is a lot more money, you know. So, yes. And the same with a, a regular 
standard deal of uh, a flat guarantee plus a percentage, 85% after a certain amount. The more tickets you sell, up to sell out. But I, on that same note, now we're, just, now we're talking maths. On that same note, there are lots of contracts that go out that are considered what we are called sellout offers, which is basically even at sellout, there's no more money to be made. Like th- that's just what it is. You're getting this regardless and that's it. There's no room for any extra money to be made, which is also normal. That's a normal offer that comes okay. through. That's normal. It, it just depends on the agent and the promoter, Live Nation, AEG, independent venue size. If the band's hot, who, how many support bands, what, what, you know, hospitality budget there's so many factors that come into that um but i will say for anyone that's doing it themselves the best deal usually is a door deal if you know that you're gonna bring people out you can make often you'll make more money on a door deal than you would a flat guarantee if you're sure that the show is gonna sell well that and i i know a lot of agent friends who have certain clients that they t- try to do more door deals with because they're like, I know they're going to sell the tickets and we'll make more money on the deal if we do the door deal, which which I think is badass. It's a risk, but it's badass if you can do it, knowing like a little bit of a gamble. Yeah, especially those hometown shows. Get the door deal in your hometown, right? Correct. <laughs> Correct. Correct. Um, man, I just love to be here. I know we're coming on an hour and a half here, but yeah, I love yeah. I love to be here because of stuff like this with you guys. I don't think I would have done this if I didn't start playing music again and was still just working for the bands. Um, I, I'm really grateful for every opportunity I get to have meeting and talking to new people and le- learning. I really like to learn. Yeah. And um, I want to just go back to one one thing. Because I think it might have came off this way, but maybe I'm overthinking it. I'm certainly not a perfect person. And I certainly have made plenty of mistakes in my life. Uh, I've made some uh, decisions I wish I had it. I wish I had learned and understood more before making certain choices. Um, But I, I, uh, and so I do think part of me going out of the way for people and doing favors happily and just holding the door and loading the people's gear and what we were talking about, just do, doing the things and watching the bands. I think part of that is from my past with my Catholic upbringing of, I do feel some guilt of my own personal things that I've done in my personal life that have affected me. People that have left my life because of decisions I've made or uh, mistakes that I've made. Um, I think a little, a little bit of that is me trying to adjust my karma and me trying to just follow good person ethics and morals and just be like, well, that wasn't great. So I got, I could be better. Let me try to be better. Coupled with a little bit of the confession stuff, a little bit of the, you know what? It's like me doing my Hail Marys for me. It's I'm going to do these good, simple deeds. These just good Samaritan things, simple things. And uh, because I want to, and because I hope that that is a better reflection of someone new who's entering my life now, no, meeting the current version of me versus an old version of myself that doesn't exist to the degree that it exists anymore. Certainly, that old version is still there in some degree. Can't can't eliminate it completely. That that's just 
kudos to those who can completely remove an old version. But I've learned to uh, accept that old version and, and, and try to acclimate them to the new version where they don't get me in trouble. And they, you know, so I think because of my upbringing, that is part of why I am who I am today. Um, if that yeah. makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. You're talking to two people who probably feel quite similarly in that we look back on the people we were. Of course, there's that part of you that's still the same. There's personality traits. There's character. Uh, there's a lot that's similar, but there's a lot uh, that we've been wrong about. And there's things that are wrong. Our wrong beliefs have definitely caused some people harm. And so I, I hear the whole uh, adjusting karma thing. Uh, even to some degree, that's this for uh, me a little bit is just like, even even thinking back to when we started it it's like i'm still a different person now than what we than when i started this three years ago when we started doing this together and it's like decidedly I, worse yeah way worse. <laughs> in some ways my parents might say so um but it's <laughs> maybe my in-laws i don't know depends on uh your beliefs now but no it, it's true man i hear that completely and um I think a lot of people listening will resonate with that too. We've, if you grew up in the world we did, you were you inherited some bad beliefs, but you did inherit some some good things too. And trying to like parse out what to keep and what to throw away, and and how to grow, uh, I think has just been a big part of a lot of people are our age is life. Um, so yeah. I think that's really going to resonate with people. It definitely does with me. Even just even just uh, letting myself grow because I also yeah. admittingly did not from being a full-time touring person, a dr straight drifter wasn't till the pandemic that I realized how little growth in certain departments I actually had because I didn't have to, I didn't have to have growth in certain departments because I was just doing the same thing. Happily I'm on the road again. I didn't have to really deal with any problems. I just can leave and then come back and it'll all sort itself out just from the time and distance. I never really had to. And now I, I am much more um, forward, try to be transparent, try to nip things in the bud when confrontation comes up versus just leaving. Um, so that's exciting for me. I like yeah. finally let myself like, you know what? I definitely do need to grow in several <laughs> departments and I think I ought to allow that to happen now a little bit, you know, later than a lot of people, a lot of people are far surpass me in certain things. And, uh, that's okay too. I, I accept that, but I've tried to play a little bit of catch up. I think in the last couple of years, I tried to, it's still that's trying awesome, to, man. still trying, um, which I think we all That's kind of the goal, man. I just to see people ever keep try to see people keep doing stuff as opposed to like we've all watched people just give up and never not learn a new thing in their adult life. And that's not great. I mean, we see we see that not go great. Uh so hell yeah, man. It's an old it's a, that's an old way. That's the old way. Like my grandpa, I think, stopped. He he just passed in, in June. Uh, but I don't know that he grew much in the last 25 years. Uh, yeah. Truthfully, I think that the last 25 years, he probably just was that. And that's fine. And he made him him and I love him. But like, there's always room. There's, there's always room.
as the world changes, as we keep going, right. As the earth is still changing and like becoming way more like just so many more things at our fingertips, technology and incre- everything increasing. I feel like, uh, our generation probably won't suffer the same kind of fate as that generation. I don't think not nearly as much at the least. Hopefully we will all be dead of radiation. poisoning. <laughs> that also could happen in 30 oh. years. We might be gone. And that's also why I want to just play music and have fun because I act, I'm not an apocalypse person, but a little bit of me is like, but what if? Yeah. We're all, we're all bridging that gap right now. Do that stuff now. (laughs) I better not put the stuff off anymore. I don't really want to put things off anymore because what if, Uh, you know? So, yeah, dude, John, this was a lot of fun. You've been generous with your time, so thanks for hanging out with us. Uh, it's this has been great. It's been cool to hear from you, hear your story, uh, and hear about the upcoming happenings with Keep Flying. Where can um, where where do you want to direct people towards? Ah, uh, you know, if you use Facebook, it's there. If you use Instagram, it's there. If you're young and you use TikTok, it is there. Our singer's doing his his dang best to try to find a way to make it work with the algorithms he's up there he's trying man he's posting crazy stuff i never even look i'm just like keep posting things and hopefully one of them goes um yeah no i mean this the standard places yeah you you just google keep flying and there's the website right there you know um come out to a show that's really what i definitely go out to a show i'll plug it gonna announce a show We'll announce, we'll start announcing shows for 24 soon. And just, if you haven't come, come. If you've been before, come back and bring a friend. That's all I can ask. Absolutely. Well, everybody follow Keep Flying on all the socials. And we will see you next time.